My name's Mick Strawn. I don't have a British accent, and you're listening to the Chronicles of Podcast. <laughs> well, tickle my ass, boys. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast. Way back Wednesday. These are the Chronicles of NJ Dixon. Why is that, Jamie? Why are we throwing back to MJ this week? We are throwing back to MJ because this week it's back, ladies and gentlemen. Myco, my sorry, let's try that again. My con twenty-one. It yeah, is going to between seventeen and nineteen of September, and yeah, MJ is just going to tell us all about what's coming up in the Myco universe. So we love it. So we thought we'd throw it back to MJ this week because, as Jamie just stated, my con is back. MJ has been able to actually make and create and build new toys, new games, new movie announcements, fucking loads of shit back. The Myco universe is back, mother lovers. Plus, I know we're not near Halloween yet, but because obviously this announcement was made by the Myco universe, by the way, guys and girls, please go follow Myco on um, Facebook, on Instagram, the Myco Productions, Myco Pictures, anything that's M Y C H O. Get involved. If you love horror movies, if you love all things horror, if you love horror, horror, then go follow them. Ah, the horror. But no, this is a great conversation with MJ. Obviously, we did this a little while ago now, but it tells us all about the Myco universe, all these different movies, all these different characters. The man doesn't stop. Like, ridiculous amounts of projects all I around love, the Myco universe. I love that it was university just to use their cameras, just to use their setup. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So yeah. Jamie, what is there? Is there anything else to add? Anything, any last words? Anything, any finale? Uh, nothing really to add. Just make sure you check out MyCon21. Check out this glorious interview of MJ. And like Tom said, go follow all of his socials and check out all of his films. Get on Prime. Get on Amazon Prime right now and go and watch Cleaver. Go and watch Slasher House. Go watch Pandemonium. There's fucking loads on there. All at Myco Entertainment, Myco Pictures, Myco Productions. Just go and find them on Amazon Prime. Give them a watch because you won't be disappointed. I love the whole horror universe idea. It's beautiful. It's like Marvel, but based in the horror universe instead. It's like Marvel, but more blood. Yes, lots of blood and guts. Yes. So, uh... Ladies and gentlemen, these are the Chronicles of MJ Dixon. Ladies and gents, joining us today, we have a man who is, quite frankly, one of the longest lists of IMDb credits I've ever seen. He's an actor, a writer, a director for a long list of movies, creating several amazing future horror movie icons. Today, we welcome the genius behind my co-pictures, Mr. MJ Dixon. Hello. Hello. That was quite an intro. I've never been called, I don't think I've ever been called a genius before, so I'll, I'll accept it. I mean, apart when I worked at the Apple store, and they, uh, <laughs> I, I never worked there. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, this is going to be fun. MJ, it will. how was your 2020, my friend? Uh, terrible. <laughs> as I'm sure everybody else's was. Yeah. Um, I mean, ours was particularly difficult, I think. But yeah, no, it wasn't very good. Uh, I'm glad to see the back of it. Even though it's been brought over into 2021 slightly, we're still well, going I, to this. So far, well, I'm more like, you know, it's, I mean, in general, um, am I allowed to swear? Yes. Uh, in general, the world is still a shit show. But personally, 
like things are not as bad as they were last year so far. So okay. good, <clears throat> good. Did you uh, teach yourself anything new? Learn anything new? Like that you wouldn't uh, have done I, normally? I, I mean, I learn I, I learn new stuff every day. Uh, cripplingly, horrifically bad stuff about the human race. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I mean, other. Than, other than that, I mean, yeah, I've, I think you teach yourself stuff all the time, don't you? Uh, I haven't, uh, I did plan to like really teach myself like new skills, but I think what I've really done is just kind of honed my old skills a lot more, which is something you don't a lot, most of the time uh, get time for, I think. So, uh, but that was purely by accident, purely because I had nothing else to do. <laughs> it wasn't like a conscious, like, oh, I'll become good at this. I just thought. Oh, I've got nothing else to do. I might as well do that loads and by proxy become better at it. <laughs> <laughs> so before before we get into this, I need to confirm something. IMDB says you've got 61 director credits. Is that right? Well, I, I mean, that's not including music videos and stuff, which they don't let you put on there. So it's over 100, I think. Jesus. That is insane. Uh, yeah, because they don't. Well, most of my work is music videos, but they don't let me. They don't let you list that really on IMDb. So that's just narrative film work, I think. Um, but I, I mean, that's all right. That's in, that's incredible. <laughs> that's nothing, honestly, compared to some people I know. That's you know, <laughs> amateur hour over here. <laughs> Well, no, I mean that. Yeah, that that that's in terms of narrative stuff. You know, films. That's correct. Yeah, that is nuts. I was like, this can't be right. Surely, no man has that much time in their life. That's insane. I, I don't have any time. <laughs> Trade off. Uh, ultimately. So, take us back. Where, where did this all begin? Was it a love of film, or was it horror movies specifically that took you down this path? Uh, I mean, I think. From a very young age, I knew that I was going to do something like this, I think, uh, but mainly because uh, I was always told, well, you're going to have to get a job when you're older. And I thought, well, that sounds terrible. Uh, so, um, but I, th- I would always say to myself, well, if I'm going to get a job, I'm going to get something I like, I like doing, you know, so at least it doesn't feel like that. Um, obviously, the, the, that's a kind of childish outlook on it, uh, you know, um, but... I think I think I started off when I left school. I had my, my plans to become a writer, um, I think, and then um, I'd kind of, but I'd always fantasise about one day someone will make movies of my my writing, you know, like, hmm. um, and so I was just writing short stories really, with the idea of starting off doing a book of short stories. That was what I was going to do, and uh, I just ended up kind of accidentally helping out on like uh, some like you know little slasher movie shot on someone's camcorder that they were making and they said oh, you know they didn't really know anyone can you come down and be in this and I just like I kind of thought I think I could do this you know like write my own stuff and so I just kind of started I went to the local college there was like a media college and they had like a media studies course and it was all about like uh, studying like how newspapers you know manipulate us and uh, you know, and uh, learning how to use Illustrator to put magazines together. But for like one one hour every week, we got to take these like huge VHS cameras that they obviously had handed down to them from like an old TV station. And we got to go and practice shots for filmmaking. And so I just used that time, like constantly I'd plan 
I wouldn't listen to any other lesson just all week. I'm like, <laughs> right, when we get to this moment, what are you doing then? And I'd be drawing storyboards and writing scripts on little bits of paper and stuff. Um, and then I just did that for like years and years and years until I could afford my own stuff um, and my own camera. And even then it wasn't very good, you know. Um, but uh, then I, well, as I was graduating from like, I went to like a film college where they taught you how to make corporate videos and stuff. And uh, as I was graduating from there, I was talking to a guy. I, I've talked about this guy all the time. And honestly, I cannot remember his name. Uh, it was someone like we didn't talk to. I didn't really talk to him that much when we were at college. Um, and then we all went for a drink. Like the whole class went for a drink when we were graduating. And I said, what are you doing next to this guy? Because we hadn't really communicated much over the last couple of years. And he said, oh, well, uh, he said, I'm going to go to university. Um, and I was like, uh, well, I feel like they're not going to really teach me anything I don't already know there. And he said, well, my plan is to go there, borrow all their fancy equipment and just make films for, for like the next three years. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a genius. That's fucking and brilliant. That's, <laughs> so that's what I did. I just, uh, I, I rang down universities to see who had space for me until uh, I landed in a place called Preston. I'm from Sunderland originally, in case you can't tell. <laughs> um, I mean, no, I couldn't, but... <laughs> uh, so, a place called Preston, um, which I'd never heard of. Um, and then three weeks later, I moved there um, and just started, like, rinsing their, uh, the university's, um, like, film stores for, uh, for decent equipment. And I just started making films and making films and making films. And Michael was kind of born up I was making so much stuff and I needed just something to go at the beginning of that, uh, like a label or something. Um, and like, I didn't like my, you know, like Dixon productions. It all sounded really kind of a bit lame. So I just kind of came up with the name Maiko, uh, which was uh, a cross between my first name, Mike, and uh, one of my favorite films, which was Psycho. And I just kind of blend them together. I was like, oh, that sounds quite cool. And at the time I was like, that's not even a real word. So like no one can steal it. <laughs> Uh, and that was it that was it that's where it came from and then I've just been making stuff under that label ever since I mean that is absolutely genius to go to university and be like I don't want to study anything I just want to use all your stuff so I can make all these movies oh man yeah like that like I don't know what would happen to me had that guy not give me that idea (laughs) (laughs) Um, when your short stories uh, when you did at college then what were they were they horror based or were they just general oh yeah I mean I think I think I'd always really been into superhero comics and horror stuff. And that was kind of like my, um, my thing as a kid. Um, so I think, but yeah, all the stuff I used to write was horror. I, I, I'm not sure why it's just, that was what interested me. I think again, uh, growing up like in the kind of 80, late eighties, early nineties, you like, you'd go to video shops all the time and the horror section was always the most interesting section of that, you know, all the yeah. covers and everything. So I think, that always, I always looked at that and thought, there's like a, like a world of possibilities of what all these covers could, the stories these covers could be telling. And because you couldn't watch them, you start imagining them as a, as, you know, as a kid. And then, so that was it really. I think that's what really spawned that. I saw Halloween when I was 11 and I think I nearly died. Uh, <laughs> and that, like, I think that was when my brain was like, oh, that was cool. That was a cool experience. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was it. That's incredible. So the first credit under your name on your IMDb is a project called Once Bitten. So what, yeah. was, what, what was the story behind that? So <clears throat> back when we were borrowing this camera once a week, <clears throat> um, eventually we got set off to, uh, to make, we had to go make two projects. One had to be um, 
narrative and one had to be like a documentary and I had literally no interest in doing this documentary um, but the narrative thing I was all over it so we had to form little production teams and one spitting was this kind of like really awful cliched idea that I came up with that was just really about um it's about a guy who gets bitten and I, th I thought I was being super original and stuff you know back in 1999 um but the idea was um I thought you never <laughs> You always see people running around being vampires, but I thought, but you never really see like the transition of that. Like you get bitten by a vampire and then what happens? Um, this all sounds really arty, but honestly, I approached it like a hack. Like I'm not even kidding. <laughs> it was like, <clears throat> I approached it like a 16 year old, you know, who thinks he's got, you know, everything in the world to say. Um, but, you know, it was like, it was shot on like, like big VHS tapes you put the whole tape in the camera and then it had to go on your shoulder you know we had no we didn't have a tripod heavy enough to 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 support it so you know every shot was on your shoulder or I think at one point we were hanging out of like my mate's loft and we made it twice we shot most of it with uh, two different actors and then obviously because like you're 16 you kind of cast your mates and that we'd cast like a friend of the producer and she did half the film and then was like, ah, I'm not really interested in like all this kind of acting and that. So she dropped out and then we had to change her. So originally I wasn't even in the film, but then I ended up playing the main character. And like, there's a scene in it where I'm like, we were supposed, we were supposed to, uh, I was supposed to be trying to wrap bandages around this bite on my neck, but being a kid trying to make a movie, I hadn't prepared at all. So I was like, you got any bandages? And like, no. And I was like, oh man, what are we going to do? So I was like, there's some toilet roll here. So there's like a scene, no cut, just where I walk in and I'm like, wrapping fucking flimsy toilet roll around my neck. <laughs> well, I can't, see, I can't get it tight enough because it breaks. So I'm just... <laughs> Fantastic. I loved it. Loved it. It was a, but honestly, it was a great experience. And it taught me a lot of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I mean, one, one thing I'll say is that uh, and I say this to anyone who wants to get into films, like is, like it didn't come naturally to me. Like I wanted to do it, but I was not naturally gifted at it at all. Like, and I just I was aware of that, and I just kept trying. And like I'd, I'd go, why is it bad? I, I don't I don't know. And I'd keep working at it, working at it, and working at it. And then eventually, like I want to say I got good because I certainly didn't, but I got definitely got less bad. <laughs> uh, doing it you know like <laughs> so there we go I'm a, I'm a testament to uh to patience when was the last time you watched that <laughs> uh I, well weirdly um i had to watch it quite recently i found um i found an old tape that was smashed like you know the top had been caved in like someone had stood mm. on it i was like what's this and i put it in and it was the only copy of that film that i had and uh it had been getting progressively more and more red over the years as the tape had deteriorated so yeah. uh, i transferred it to digital and um i think it was our 10th 15th anniversary 10th anniversary i think um we i put it up on youtube for people to watch um, oh that's amazing so you know like i say it's not good but it it exists and it's, it's, there that, it's and... that moment in history for you that's awesome oh yeah absolutely you know and and honestly like it was a really good experience i really enjoyed it um, you know, and uh, it took like everything teaches you loads. Everything you do teaches you. So it was a good, it was a good, fun first step for me. I think. 
So when you decided, I'm doing after this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when you decided to make uh, Maiko, was the decision always this is going to be horror movies, or was it just let's make whatever we want? Um, Well, I've just always really liked horror movies. I think so. That was always going to be the kind of thing I I wanted to do. I mean, uh, for me, horror is a really good foundation to do everything. Like, so every one of our films is kind of a different genre, but it, it's built on a foundation of, like, uh, not even horror, really, but, like, a, the, the slasher subgenre. So I kind of... I've always thought that's kind of, like, the perfect distillation of horror. Um, you know, the, like, the masked killer going around, picking off each person one by one until there's only one person left. And that's, to me, I think, a really, really great kind of boiling down to the salt of what horror is. Um, so I've always tried to take that foundation and then build something interesting or new on top of it. And that's kind of what I wanted the Myco universe, which it ended up becoming, to kind of do. That's awesome. And you're absolutely right as well, because you think about your Halloween, your Friday the 13th, they're always, this is a killer. These are all the kids. Let's kill them after there's one left. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> Absolutely. So with, you're credited to a, a ton of short movies before your first feature length. So was there a particular reason you stuck to shorts for the first, I think it's about six years? And what made you finally take that plunge to do Slasher House in 2010, the first feature length? Uh, well, really, it was, uh, like I say, I did that first film and I, I was fully aware it wasn't very good. Um, and so what I realised was over the next few years, I tried to get stuff off the ground. I think, well, the next one will be good though, you know? So it took me a couple of years. Um, and back then film equipment wasn't particularly accessible either. So it was a case of, um, I'd try and get some stuff together. I'd borrow a camera and I'd go and shoot something. And, but I'd come across other new, new pitfalls, you know? So uh, the first time I was like, oh, well, sometimes I, I let other people shoot too much of that film. So I'll take control of that element. But then I was letting sound, get by or I wasn't getting actors who were good enough or you know or I was still getting my friends to come and fill roles when they weren't actors and things like that and so I was learning as we as as I went really um so when I went to university um what I did was I literally just started making film after film after film I'd like I'd write something I'd go make it edit it put it out done just go make something else and I think uh, not all of them made it to uh, like finished things, but I think over that over about two or three years, I did about twenty five films in some form. Um, just really like, why was that bad? Right, okay. Like, so the lighting was crap this time. So I went and bought some lights, and you know, they were like you know cheap desk lamps or whatever, and I'd use them, but it's still not good enough. Uh, all right, I need to get the microphone closer. So I'd go and buy an extension cord, and I'd have someone holding the mic closer to the actors and every time I'd just be trying to figure out how to make this stuff better and I just did that for years and years and years and years and years and then I did my final um, thesis film uh, for university which was called West because usually when you go to university you make about one or two films a year so a lot of people will leave in university with like you know four or five films under their belt um, at, at the most but while I was there, apart outside of those that I handed in every year, I made about another 20-odd films, you know? <laughs> um, and so when I left, I'd made my final thesis film thinking, right, so this is the distillation of everything I've learned so far. And it was fine, and I made a load of mistakes on it still. Um, and we went to the Manchester Picture House, and it screened there. 
Um, and there was a load of technical problems with it that I hadn't even thought about because I was so used to making films, distilling them down to like a small file size and putting them on YouTube, which was still kind of in its infancy at the time, um, that, that I just hadn't considered. Um, so when I came out of that, I said, right, I need to sit down and just look at all of this and go, it's fine, but it's not good enough. And why? You know, and that was kind of the restart point for me, I think, um, which is kind of where I'm at now. If you go on a website, I kind of start from that restart point, which is a film I made called I Spy for the Horror Channel. Hmm. Uh, and it was like a competition they'd run and you had to make a two minute uh, horror film um, and they'd air it on in between the films that they, sh they were showing on the Horror Channel. Um, which was only available on Sky, I think, at the time. So it wasn't even like people, you could just tune into it. So it was only a very small kind of cross-section of people who could even watch it. But we went and made this two-minute short film and I, I borrowed the best equipment I could. And I was editing on like my PC that I'd had for 10 years. And I was basically getting like 20 minutes work out of it. And then it would, uh, its RAM would fill up and I'd have to restart the whole thing, you know. And it, and it was just a nightmare. But I got this film done. We sent it to the Horror Channel um and we never heard back from them i don't know because i didn't have sky or anything i never even i don't even know if they ever played it they played i know they played a bunch of these two minute films but we never knew whether they played it or not uh, but then i had this kind of two minute short film which was okay like you know um because it was like i say it was all the mistakes that i'd made that i tried to learn from hmm. and so i think it was probably one of the best things i've done at that up to that point so I just started whacking it into like film festivals and competitions and stuff. Um, and it got voted um, one of the best. Uh, there used to be a, a range of uh, horror films they released every year called Eight Films to Die For. And they were mm -hmm. released in like really nice packaging and stuff. Um, and they were kind of like new indie horrors that were kind of like the next generation of filmmakers and stuff. And to promote that, they did a competition called Eight Shorts to Die For. Um, and we entered that. And we came first, uh, oh, wow. judged by Dee Snyder from uh, Twisted Sister. <laughs> Amazing. He, he was with the judge in it, and he judged our film the best. And so that's always that was like a really good kind of um, what what I want to say. Like that really propelled me to kind of go, "Oh, what are we going to do next?" And so I started trying to put a feature together called Creepsville, um, which was kind of like a thing I'd been working on for years and years and years and years and years. Um, and I always thought this is going to be the first feature length film that I make. Um, and then because this film did quite well in competitions and things, we started getting emails from like horror websites and stuff saying, we really liked your short film. When are you going to do a feature? And I was like, oh, that's funny you should say that. Uh, and so we tried, I tried to make this film called Creepsville. Um, but I think the big mistake I made was that I tried to make it too professionally with no money. So... Um, although we had no budget, I was like, well, I'm, we can do this because we have access to the equipment and we know actors and, and all this. But I think I handed out too many roles to too many different people. Um, and so like we had like an editor and a, a light guy and, you know, like um, all the way down the line, there was about 25 crew members on this thing, you know. And I think eventually it just completely got away from me. Um, and there's a kind of a cut that still exists of it, but it's a film that never quite got finished. Um, but because uh, when it went into post-production, um, I was talking to the editor and he said, it's going to take about 18 months to put the whole thing together. I thought, that's too long. Like, I, you know, and because I wasn't doing that job, I felt like 
I didn't really have any control over that. So yeah. I thought that's too much time. So I went back and dug out a script that I'd kind of been mulling around. I'd, I wrote it in t- 2005, um, but I'd been mulling around for years before that. Uh, it was a film called Slasher House. Uh, and it was like five actors in one location. And I thought, I can do this with like nobody. You know what I mean? Like I don't need 25 other people doing different jobs. I thought I need a small crew and five actors and I can, I can make this film like on nothing, you know, like, and so I think originally my plan was like, well, we'll go and raise like a million. And then it was like, okay, like, well, half a million, you know, quarter, five, (laughs) how much have we got? Five grand, five grand it is, you know, and that was kind of like, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of like that. And so that's kind of where it came from. I just kind of thought, well, while this other film's going through post-production, I'll, I'll go and do this thing that I've always wanted to do. And that was kind of, uh, that's how Slash House kind of came about. That's awesome. And the fact you managed to finish that one before you finished the other one says something as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think we've finished like nine since then, and that one's still not done. So, <laughs> so. You know. I, I love the characters you have for the Myco universe. You know, I especially love the look of the panda head, ki- panda headed killer. I, I absolutely love that design. It looks awesome. It looks terrifying. It's brilliant. So where do you get your inspiration for these main villains? Uh, it's kind of weird. Like, so the, I mean, the weirdest thing is one of our main, one of our most famous characters is called Cleaver, the killer clown. Mm. Um, and he was written into slasher house. Like he's in, he's in it for the first 10 minutes. Um, but he's on the cover, which caused me no end of hassle. That wasn't, that was like a distributed decision. So we didn't get to decide how it was marketed. They just put this clown on the cover. And I thought, well, that's a bit of a problem because essentially when I first wrote the film, I was like, what's like the most cliche thing I can think of? And so we decided like the first bad guy was going to be this super cliche, which was like a killer clown with a meat cleaver. And I thought, you know, we'll get him in, we'll get rid of him. And then we can move on to the interesting stuff. And of course, what happened was everyone started sending me emails and stuff after the film came out going, when are we getting a film about the clown? And I was like, oh man. So I had never even planned for that. Um, And so he kind of really took off. And it was very much the same um, with, so the first Slasher House, we kind of introduced like four serial killers, Mm. uh, which was Cleaver, Thorne, Nathan and Corbin. Um, and uh, so with Slash House 2 essentially we kind of wanted to do the same thing where we introduced four new serial killers and again I did the stupid thing of thinking well I'm just going to write like a stuff cliche thing at the beginning so we'd always joked uh, there was a line in the first Cleaver spin-off movie um, where someone says uh, you know if we don't get this in check it'll be pandemonium and I said that'll be our next film Killer Panda and uh, you know, <laughs> people would go nah come on, don't be daft. And I go, I'm telling you, you know, and then, uh, and then it came to writing Slash House 2. And I was like, well, what we're going to have is like the first kind of kill. And it was, the idea was just to have like a random serial killer to set up um, like the idea of the story. Hmm. Um, and so I kind of designed this guy who wore like a suit and a, uh, and a big kind of panda head. And he was just kind of like a, like a riff on a, a film called Executive Koala from Japan, which is like about like a like a like a businessman who's a koala uh, who who like hates his job and goes and 
murders everyone, like his wife and everyone in his office, you know. And it was just that <laughs> uh, we, wanted, we wanted to kind of branch out into like a bigger world building. So we wanted to have each character come from like different corners of the world. So um, we wanted like a kind of um, East Asian character. And so the panda kind of thing just kind of was like, right, yeah, that works. You know, so I designed him thinking this guy's going to show up you know, threatening people, he's going to get killed and that'll be the end of him. And uh, the guy who plays him, uh, Dave Chu, he turned up and the second he started speaking, we just kind of went, well, he's getting his own film, isn't he? Like, you know, <laughs> it was literally like that. Like the second the voice came out of the mask, he went, oh, right, well, that's not, it's that's just a guy who's getting his own film, you know? And uh, so I think uh, you kind of just design stuff like, with the idea of oh what's interesting what's fun what'll be what'll be fun to make um but you never know what's going to land really and everything develops like that if that makes any sense yeah so with the actors who play these characters how do you try and make sure they understand the vision that you have for the killer or do you basically go right is the guy with a panda for a head um go <laughs> oh, I know actors don't listen to you, so they just do whatever they want. And like, <laughs> you're going, whoa, 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 reel it in, reel it in, reel it in, reel it in. No, I mean, um, I think it's quite important to work with people who kind of understand what you're doing anyway. So, mm. like, um, but I mean, I've been quite lucky um, in terms of um, I've had a lot of actors who've come to work with me have been um, very collaborative people. So, we get to discuss a lot of what we're thinking. Uh, also, because I'm drawing on a lot of horror tropes, I can kind of say, go and look at uh, this character. Like, I think with Corbin on Slash House 1, um, Welly, who I knew I knew he, could, he had the chops for it because he played a character in Creepsville when we were making that. So I just kind of said, you know, well, go and look at, like, Hannibal Lecter and, and characters like that, you know, much more psychological uh, killers than guys who wear masks and have you know think about that uh, like the guy from, like Mick Taylor from Wolf Creek go and look at characters like that and that's kind of where we're going and so we'd go and look at that and he'd come back you know with a good shorthand for what we were trying to what we were trying to achieve um like Cleaver um I'd I'd imagined him being just kind of like Freddy Krueger you know kind of like shrieking and like, yeah, you know, like Gary Busey when he looks in the mirror and sees himself as a clown. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing fine! You know, uh, but Andy, the day before, was kind of like, uh, I'd been saying, I was a bit worried because Slash House 1, the idea is that, like, it's supposed to be four of the world's worst serial killers in the house with this one girl. Um, and I was a bit concerned that, like, all these famous serial killers seem to be British people from the from you know northeast england and i was or northwest england sorry and i was like oh right that's like uh, that's an issue you know uh, so andy who was playing cleaver the the, the day before kind of came up and said uh, he said what do you think about me doing like a texas drawl and i was like all right let me hear it and he, was, he came out he's like hey there i'm gonna kill y'all you know and i was like love it let's do that yeah <laughs> why not <laughs> Well, I shot myself in the foot because then when people start asking for a Cleaver film, I'm like, oh, he's American though, isn't he? So we're, t we're now having to try and make a, a film that's set in America. Um, but obviously we've got no budget to fly there. So like in 2014, 2015, we were just desperately trying to like make anywhere we could look like 
kind of like southern state uh, America to try and shoot this uh, clown feature. It was just bizarre. Like, that must have been uh, so difficult. Things like road signs, just anything like well, like tiny details like that. Cars were the hardest part, honestly. Like I used so many bloody Matchbox models and like you know like <laughs> fake, like uh, you know fake focus and um, perspective and. Uh, we had to CG a load of signs and stuff. Um, and then when we did a sequel, everyone thought, well, you'll just move that to the UK, make your life easier. And I was like, nah, double down. <laughs> like, so we did, uh, we did like, we literally for the sequel, we did uh, like a Killer Clown Road movie um, where they're traveling across, like, you know, uh, back road America. Um, and I, we just, like I say, we just fully doubled down on it. And, uh, but I, it, it paid off because... We had more time to find locations, I think, and stuff, and uh, and just expand that world a little bit more. Um, and the big thing was, like, we we made sure that like almost all of our cast were American, um, and that really helped sell the whole thing. But it that's what happened. You make a split second decision like that one night, you know, when you haven't slept for sixteen hours, and some actor goes, "What do you think of this?" And you go, "Yeah, yeah, sounds good." And then. <laughs> You know, five years later, you're like, I can't find anywhere that looks like, you know, Tennessee back roads. <laughs> Please help me. I've got, I've actually got, uh, that's, I, I mean, uh, that's one of the, uh, the, I think we had two license plates in the film um, that we just had to like gaffer tape onto like people's cars and stuff to, uh, to kind of try and get away with, in the background would be like, you can see that license plate and you'd grab one of these, you know, like these, these things that people buy when they're on, when they go like on holiday or whatever, we're just sticking them on cars in the background, and you know, and that's just what you do. <laughs> is it? But, but that that is an impressive attention to detail, though, because some oh, people yeah, might not have even thought of that. Don't get me started on the fact that Americans drive on the other side of their cars. So oh shit, yeah. We had to we had to literally flip every car shot in the film, which means that any maps had to be printed backwards for any, if they were going to be in a car. Um, any leaflets had to be printed backwards. Um, any clothing had to be swapped. Like, you know, oh, any items. Man. Oh, my God. Like, I can't even tell you. It was just... <laughs> we had whole insane. scenes where, like... I mean, if you watch the film closely, you can see where, like, our actors fucking turning the steering wheel that's just not even connected to the car. <laughs> and we've, got, we've got the actress in the passenger seat trying to drive on the on the subtle with her hands down here working <laughs> all the gas because obviously he had to be on one side but we couldn't operate the you know it's just and that's what you do I, I honestly it would blag your head constantly you'd be like what side of the car are they on what road are they on what leaflet do we need for this and you like and when you haven't slept for you know three days because you're behind schedule you're like I don't know what's happening what well, you know, what's going on? So it's... That is absolutely insane. Fair play. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm not going to lie. I'm <laughs> impressed. That's amazing. So you, you mentioned earlier that the micro universe, like a shared universe. So how have you connected this all? Is it through Slasher House, like these four characters have done this? Or is it, is it recurring characters or just a really unfortunate town? Well, I mean, essentially... So what it started off is I wanted to make this kind of like huge sprawling epic fantasy that was kind of like a combination of all horror stuff that I really liked. Um, mm. 
the best way I can describe it is kind of like um, Lord of the Rings um, set in like meets Hellraiser 2 set in like the kind of modern modern kind of London um, but I re realised very quickly on like script 2 um, that this kind of great sprawling epic trilogy I was trying to write just wasn't possible like you know with the resources that I had and so over the years I kind of started going well what have you told like some smaller stories based in the same thing you know like um and the actually so idea was to kind of really just start off telling these little kind of pocket tales in this world and then build out into this big plan that I had essentially um and so I thought well I'll do that when I'm when I'm older and then the years go by and you start to go oh shit I am a bit older now like yeah, I should probably probably start making a move on that and so slash house was just really like the point in the middle where i thought okay and then we can kind of build out from there i guess you know and so slash house just really was the smallest idea i think that i had in this world and i thought well, that's a good like setup point because i can just kind of do that and then use that as a springboard for the characters that appear in that so i think we did slash a house and then we started doing kind of prequels to it. So we did uh, Legacy of Thorn, which is um, like the prequel about Thorn. So that's so that's like set in like another town, which is its own thing completely. Um, and then uh, we did one called Hollower, which was about the character called Nathan that's in that film. And that was like like a like a one location horror, like like psychological thriller that we did. And we managed to get um, Nicholas Vince from Hellraiser. To uh, to come and be in it, just I don't know how it happened. Just purely randomly, we were at a convention um, screening Legacy of Thorn, and he was there signing um, autographs and stuff. And we just got my wife got chatting to him and mentioned this film, and he's like, "Oh, send me the script." And then before we knew it, he was like, "Yeah, I'll uh, I'll come and do that." So we did that. And, That's uh, insane. That was like another kind of smaller part of it and then uh but like i say and then people started asking us for this cleaver movie that i'd never planned on doing um, and another project fell through and so we just kind of went well we've booked the time off to go and do this other thing so why don't we so in six weeks i wrote a feature film with the help of another writer we i wrote a feature film version of cleaver um and then uh yes yeah, six weeks later we were shooting it in like the depths of winter in like november you know it was freezing cold and we were like out, out in the kind of streets with this guy dressed as a clown running around and it was <laughs> someone else. But um, yeah, no, I think I, I've just kind of been building it as a go really with a kind of overall plan of what I was going to do with each of these characters. But it does, it, it evolves over time as well, I think. But each film is, is connected. On our website, there's a timeline that explains what comes first and last, uh, you know, um, because so far, Slasher House is the furthest point we've gone in the timeline. Um, okay. But that's always been by design. Um, because Slash House 3, which we should have already shot last year, but obviously uh, there's a pandemic on. So, uh, you know, um, that would have been our first step beyond that point in the timeline. Um, but yeah, we've really been just telling kind of prequel stories to, f to fill that out so that when we move forward there's a broader scope of that. And I think like with Thorn, we did a prequel to the prequel, which was set in 1988. Um, you know, and we shot that in like, um, 
we shot in widescreen, but also in like four by three old school square, like video ratio so that we could release two versions of the film. One that looked like it had been made in 1988, you know? Um, And yeah, so I think you just, uh, you know, you do all this kind of mad stuff really. Yeah. Um, and hope that it kind of connects together. But like I say, there's kind of an overall plan, but you just have to be quite fluid with, with how it's going because you never know what's going to change, really. That's yeah. Awesome. Look, look at the website. Um, I saw that you've got an absolute shed load of accolades as well for everything that you've done from however far back. I, I did look and I, for something my brain's uh, letting me down. But did you ever expect your universe to become as big as it has, like as successful as it has? Uh, no, I think we judge success in different ways though. Like it just in general. Um, so I think, I think it, I think it was quite popular earlier, early on, I guess, like, um, in the kind of an indie horror sense. Yeah. Um, you know, in that community, we, we, you know, and we, and so we were just catering directly to that. And it's not a huge community, but it's, um, but I think um, once we made we made Cleavers, Cleaver Two, in twenty eighteen, I think, um, and it was just a bit of a perfect storm of like uh, that's what distributors were looking for because a lot of the time we'd gone through distributors and then we'd found that they'd just not they t- they put the film out, make a fortune off it, cover it all in expenses, and you'd never see anything. So. For a, for a few years, we were really just making this stuff and putting it out ourselves. We were printing all the DVDs and selling them from our website. We were putting them on Amazon Prime ourselves as our own aggregator. We were just really working uh, as ourselves. And then we'd sign the odd deal here and there with some stuff, but they were obviously much smaller because we knew that ultimately we'd probably get ripped off. So you, yeah. you'd kind of be like, well, you can have that for three years, but if you don't pay me, you're not getting anything else kind of thing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how it would go for a long time. Um, so we got like um, some big wider releases in like Walmart and stuff, but we never saw any money from that. Um, but when we made Cleavers, it was just the right time. I think It Chapter 2 was about to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd missed the boat on the first um, the first date, I think, because they hadn't expected it to be such a big hit. Um, so uh, we talked to a distributor called 101 Films who released a lot of kind of yeah. like really classic cool horror films that you everyone remembers from the 80s um, and they really loved cleavers and they were like can we talk to you about what you're doing you know that kind of thing so we went to them and they said well what's all this stuff um and we explained the universe and we said like so this is kind of like our second um iteration of that we did these ones on a very low budget and then you know and then we did these ones with a bit more and we're just kind of trying to uh, these are kind of like um uh, as a, a, an upstep in production value and etc and they were like okay cool we'll take them all uh we want to take <laughs> them and so we were like what uh, and they went we'll take this one as well and i was like uh, they pointed at pandemonium and i was like oh we haven't made that yet and they were like right well sorry we'll take it uh oh, no way. we were like so i mean that was a huge amount of pressure suddenly we're like well hang on like <laughs> <laughs> what if it's shit <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so I mean, we were making Pandemonium while they were making posters for a film that didn't exist and putting it out of can, and we were like, 
you know, it had posters up a can before we'd even shot a frame of it. Like it was absolutely mental. Like, um, but that, um, we signed a deal to do worldwide with those guys. So suddenly our films were everywhere, not just in the UK because they went out to like HMV, Asda, all that stuff like they do here, but they went out to like Walmart and all the big stores in the US. And so suddenly we found ourselves being contacted by people all over saying like, you know, um, so this really liked it, you know, um, what you're doing next, this kind of thing. Uh, I got contacted by a guy who was like, oh, uh, I, I'm really looking for a project. Do you mind if I do like a, like a, like a wiki um, about your universe? And so this guy went off and started making like, um, like a Wikipedia just, just about the micro universe and stuff. Nice. And it was just, um, so that was where that, like we saw a, a next step of success thing. I mean, yeah. It's a tough one because, I mean, a lot like the music industry, there's very little money to be had in, even when you're moderately successful, it's very difficult to to make a lot of money. But I mean, I think we managed to get enough to kind of pay people for their time and to kind of justify making the film in the end, I think. Mm. So that's, I mean, that's something we've never experienced before. So in terms of success, we have nearly, we, we're not in debt from those <laughs> so that is uh, that's quite an achievement that's a big, big win yeah <laughs> but i think yeah like i think i think in terms of where we're trying to get to that was definitely a great step up in in what we're trying to do you know absolutely that's incredible so i also noticed that you've announced three movies that are coming up Four. um that were obviously uh Sash House 3, Straw Men, and The Wrath of Thorn. Is there oh, right, anything yeah. you could tell us about them at all or not? Oh, yeah. I'll talk about them all day. <laughs> oh, let's go. <laughs> um, let's get comfy. So Slash House 3 is, like I say, is the first time that we've kind of stepped beyond the timeline that, is, that ends with Slasher House. Hmm. Um, and so the idea with that was, like I say, the last films we did, like, Four Killers versus this girl, um... You know, and it's kind of of a reverse on the on the old slasher uh, kind of foundation, like I was saying earlier, which is instead of having like a bunch of kids in the house with a serial killer, <laughs> we were like, well, if we have a bunch of serial killers in the house with this one girl, and they're basically all fighting over each other to mush her head in, you know. <laughs> um, and then so the sequel we kind of expanded on her backstory to not spoil it for other people. There's a twist at the end of Slash House One that kind of reveals something about her. So then Slash House Two really delves into that backstory. But again, it was four serial killers um, and this one girl. Um, and then Slash House Three really continues on the other end of that. Um, and so what I wanted to do was do something kind of like a bit over the top. Um, which I'm known to do. Uh, so we thought, okay, well, we've done like four serial killers, like each film. So I thought, what's the kind of next step, step up from that? So we decided to do uh, this girl versus 25 serial killers. What? Um, yeah. Uh, in a, and so it's, uh, it's her trapped in a government facility, um, basically fighting her way through, you know, like all these kind of various monsters and stuff. It's not quite, it's not like, um, it's hard to describe, it's not like fucking Mortal Kombat, you know, and she's just walking through <laughs> fucking mushroom people in their head. Um, but 
like that over the course of the film there are 25 different serial killers that get featured um but it's hard to describe really unless you've seen the other films in which case you know that there's like a kind of structure to that um and it just kind of takes that structure and blows it into pieces you know and it's kind of so it's fun um and we should like i say we should have made that last year um I don't. You can't. Probably can't see. But I have a tank down here. That's somebody's legs. Um, for the films, one of the characters literally has a tank for legs. Amazing. Um, and like, so this tank got delivered like about a week before everyone got locked down. And I was like, oh man, oh. So I've just had this massive tank in my house for like. <laughs> uh, and and the, and the rest of the costume, obviously, you can imagine what kind of costumes, like 25 serial killers and then like five other characters. You can imagine the kind of mass that that would take to store those amount of costumes. Yeah. And all that stuff got delivered and then we got locked down. And so just for a year, I've had basically the entire contents of a feature film like that in my house. It's been fun. Um <laughs> So yeah, that's that's that one. So that was the one we're, that we're kind of currently looking to uh, to move forward with. But I mean, in the meantime, because we've been locked down, we've had loads of time to write stuff. Like, and so I thought, I mean, initially things were starting to kind of wind down a little bit at the end of the summer, and yeah. so I thought, well, you know, maybe we could do something. Probably not Slash House Three because that's huge, you know, but maybe something a bit smaller. Uh, so I wrote a few kind of pandemic-friendly movies. Um, and one of them was a film called Strawman, which is kind of like... I've always wanted to do a scare, killer scarecrow film. But, you know, they're always like... They're always like, what's that guy in the field? Oh, he's coming to get you, you know? Oh. So, and it's a guy running around in a scarecrow costume. So I thought, <laughs> like, well, like, what's an interesting take on that? So uh, it's hard to talk about without spoiling it. But I think we've come up with, like, something that's kind of um, a bit more like The Thing meets um, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, you know. Um, and so it's a little bit more kind of um, body horror than it is um, like a full straight Scarecrow movie, you know. Okay. Um, and so, but it's a really, really small cast of stuff. So we managed, we passed that um, kind of towards the autumn, hoping that we'd be able to go and kind of make that in October and then, Chase COVID. Electric, Electric Boogaloo happened. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of, but I, I mean, I guess we're kind of hoping that um, as things begin to ease up, we'll maybe go and start with that, which is a much smaller scope project than 25 serial killers, government facility, you know, <laughs> yeah. arts every five seconds kind of <laughs> thing. Um, and then Wrath of Thorn is the uh, the end of the Thorn trilogy, which is like, uh, I mean, Thorne's like my my favourite of all. He's like the first character I created. Like um, back in like two thousand, I was trying to. I wanted to make like a bunch of Halloween fan films, um, but I was like, oh, if I do that, like then that's just somebody else's work that I'm, you know, yeah, mm. I'm making something of. And so Thorne kind of became his own thing over the years. I kind of redesigned him completely so that he bared no resemblance to that but I had these cool ideas for a story. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just take the kind of bits that aren't inspired by Halloween and I'll just kind of go and do my own thing. Um, and also over the years, I've been kind of working on that and I've always had a kind of very clear iteration of Thorne's story. Um, 
And so I'm kind of getting to finish that off now, which is cool because the way time works in like the Thorn movies is weird. So it's now we're able to take like characters from like 1988 and 1962 and 2012 and they all kind of get blended into this uh, film that's set in 2020, you know, and it's, it's cool. Uh, and we should be filming that like right now, but obviously pandemic. Cheers COVID again. But are you not worried that Slash House 3 might, uh, people might be like, cool, so that guy that was in it, could you make a movie out of him? <laughs> oh, well, I've already, I'm way ahead of you. Way ahead of you. <laughs> My next 25 projects will be... <laughs> well, I mean, essentially that's what happened though with Slash House 3 is I kind of went, right, let's do all these things because now, like, if I want to do anything, I can go through this catalogue of characters I've got and go, right, where I want to go and do like a Blair Witch-esque film. And I go, oh, I've got a character for that. I'll take Twiggy, yeah, who's yeah. one of our kind of uh, monstery characters. And I go, oh, I'll put him in a, um, I'll put him in like that kind of movie. Or um, we talked about doing like a like a POV slasher, you know, like, um, and we've got a character that's just perfect for that. So we were like, right, okay, well, we're going, we're going to tell that story using that character, you know. Um, <clears throat> or we wanted to do. Um, so there's a character that's like, um, he's been in a couple of our other things and he's like a fictional character in the Myco universe. So whenever the, the characters are watching TV in one of these films, they're watching this series of slasher movies that exists within the series of slasher movies. If that makes any sense. That's so yeah. clever. That's cool so, as fuck. Uh, every so often we go and film like a kind of new version of this thing to put on the TV in the background of these movies. Um, and that was actually one of the things we were working on just before... Um, the pandemic hit we were doing a new kind of short version of this that would go into slash house three but also kind of be its own short film as well <clears throat> so that character makes it into slash house three um and then so we've been talking about where do we go with that character because you kind of get a sense of who's going to be popular if that mm, makes any yeah. sense yeah, yeah as you start doing read-throughs and stuff so straight away we were like well this guy's going to be massive like ev everyone's going to want this guy so you kind of know that so you start right well what's his film about right you jot that idea down you know and then but you can you never know like you you know so you kind of pick who you think might people might want to see um so with the first one i think we picked thought we thought thorn people want to see more of him so we started developing that early on um and then people said oh well we'd like to see more of cleaver as well so we'd go, oh right well, I'll just where's that going? I'll just drop that there, you know. And then uh, again with Slash House Two, um, there was loads of interest in the panda, um, but we kind of already knew we were going to do a film with Molly, who was the little girl who controls dolls with her mind. Um, oh, geez, so we were like, we thought, right, well, <laughs> kind of know we're going to do something with that character, but who else are we going to do a film with? And then obviously people tell you who they want, so you kind of guess who you think is going to be popular mm. and then people will let you know what else you do. And so you just, that's why you've got to be a little bit malleable, but don't detract from your overall vision. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So, um, just, just quickly, I'm thinking, does, uh, writing about dark subjects, uh, ever, uh, take a toll on your attitude to life at all? Cause you just become a father, haven't you? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I have. Well, I mean, yeah. um, you know, it's a tough one, really. Uh, sometimes I write dark stuff and I think, like, no one's going to let me make this. Like, <laughs> no. 
<coughs> so I send it to actors and I expect them to turn up outside my house with flaming torches and pitchforks, you know. Get them. Um, well, I mean, a lot of the time, um, like, actors just want to kind of be pushed in, you know, to their, to their kind of psychological limit anyway. So that's not really an issue. I mean, in terms of, um, I guess you kind of pour, you, it's more the other way, I think. You kind of, you exercise your demons a little bit when you're writing these things in terms of relationships between characters and stuff. So you do kind of have dark um, kind of like feelings and things that you put into those characters or you deal yeah. with with those characters. I think, <clears throat> um, I mean, my relationship with my son has not been particularly easy because uh, there was a lot of problems when he was born to begin with. Um, he wasn't very well. Um, and he was taken away from us like the, within the first 24 hours. Oh, um, no. And we Shit. were like terrified we weren't gonna get the same baby back or, you know, like all these horrible things go through your mind. Um, and then that put quite a strain on me mentally over the next few months, just, mm really trying to make sure he was okay um and um so i mean there were outside circumstances and stuff my wife was having problems with them um, with a stalker and stuff which Fuck. oh yeah like which was making which made life a little bit harder as well you know um and so i think like come the end of that year i was just like i was psychologically checked out i was like i i didn't know what to do with myself um yeah <clears throat> so i think I, I was just recovering from that when we landed in a pandemic as well. So I was like, fuck. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, so I, it had been the tough old time anyway. But again, I'm writing scripts at the time. So I, a lot of this stuff I deal with just um, yeah. by putting it into these things. Um, but we then we found out that um, in uh, August, I think, September, that um, he has a rare condition called Angelman syndrome um, where he can't, he won't be able to talk or walk or anything or, or oh, anything for like his whole life. So that's been like a big thing to deal with as well. So you, you take that stuff and you, uh, and you do just put it back into your, into your work and you deal with it the best you can that way. And I don't, yeah, I don't ever feel like it comes the other way. Like it, it I don't feel like it ever jumps out and goes, right, you're coming with me. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's more like a script's going, oh, hello, sir. We've got some nice, friendly, fun ideas today. And I go, oh, really? Yeah? <laughs> I think. And then I throw the script down, quivering, and it's like, oh, please don't read me. It's a bit more, it's a bit more like that, really. Oh, fuck it out. So when you read it, all like ghouls and ghosts fly out of it. Yeah, yeah, open it. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone. I think you've just given him his next movie, Tom. <laughs> the haunted script. There we go. Well, I mean, they're all like that. Honestly, they are. Phenomenal. So, what I love about Maiko as well is looking at the website. Is it's not only movies. It's there's comics, there's podcasts, there's even toys coming. Oh yeah, it's absolutely insane. Do, do you have like a team of people that helps you with all these ideas, or are they just off your big beautiful brain? Uh, I mean, of, of course I've got, I mean, I'll, I'd be fucked if it was just me. I mean, <laughs> um, so it's really a lot of, I mean, I try to keep control of as much as I can really. So a lot of it is, uh, because <clears throat> years ago I met like a, a at the premier slash house, I met like a famous director, like, like a proper famous director. Um, 
and he I won't say who he is because it'll embarrass him when I say the next bit. Um, okay. <laughs> but he came up to me. He came up to me drunk afterwards, and he was like, "Hey, mate, you know the problem with you is, he uh, goes, you're doing so much. He goes, get other people to do it for you. Don't do everything yourself." And I was like, "All right, <laughs> like." <laughs> Sound advice, thanks. Uh, you know, and uh, and then I thought, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. And so, what I've kind of spent my years doing is just kind of trying to be good at as much stuff as I can. But then understanding that, like, um, so when we make a comic, I tend to be like head artist and writer for that. Um, but then if I need anything, I will say, can someone just do this portion for me? Or, um, like, <clears throat> with a film or something, you know, I'll take on lighting or whatever, but I'll say, but can... So this is what we're doing, but can someone help me set that up? Or I need to make a prop. So this is what it is. Here's the design. But can someone come and cut these pieces out for me or help me create a latex casting for this thing? Or, you know, like... And so I, tr I tried to stay on top of that as much as I can, but obviously I could not do it without the kind of like really kind people i mean my wife's my producer so that helps um you know um and i mean really she resisted that for as long as possible like, <laughs> <laughs> she really did she was like uh, you know i was like well i could really do with the producer and she's like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know and then eventually you know she was like right like you know she's the best person for the job so she does a lot of um a lot of that that stuff she she does a lot of dealing with um, the kind of side of it, which is organising everything and making sure that's all kind of going to plan. Um, and then we have other people um, who come and work on the sets and stuff. Um, and and you know you've you've got you've you can't you can't you can't do everything yourself, definitely. But I think also farming stuff out to other people is a mistake. So I mean I tend to take care of as much as I can as possible. So, that, I mean, the comic books, like I say, I write and do the art for those. Um, and then the action figures, I mean, I sit there into the night, just 3D sculpting. And um, But then I've got a friend who, um, I mean, he's really into, like, um, 3D printing and things like that. So um, rather than me sitting here fighting with a 3D printer all day or, you know, or, or trying to do resin castings or whatever, I send stuff to him. And he goes, this isn't working. And I go away and I'll fix, you know, the joints or whatever. And I'll send it back to him. And he goes, right, that's better. There's a hole in your hand. Right, okay, I'll go and fix that. <laughs> you know, your cleavers don't fit. Right, I'll go and fix that. You know, and it kind of, it's just kind of like that, really. Um, and you just kind of try and keep as much, you try to keep it as close to your chest as you can. I mean, over the years, I've really resisted other people doing writing for me. Um, just because of the, like the legal headaches it causes me and things. So, you know, you do start, there's a lot of that as well, I think, is that like, I do, I, I mean, honestly, what I'd love to do is just sit here and go, yes, go and write me uh, Cleaver 4, uh, you know, uh, and I'll sit here and send it, not good enough. <laughs> it needs more clown, you know, like, I'd love just to do that. Or people go, oh, what do you think of this design, sir? And I'll go, make the hands bigger and return. <laughs> you know, like, and I'd, I would fucking love to just sit and do that. But also, what, what I tend to find is that it causes me, like, shitloads of, like, 
legality headaches and things like that, mm. you know, uh, or it has in the past. So then I just go, fuck it. I'll just do it myself and you can bum off. Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> so that's kind of it really. Yeah. Um, that is, it's, I wasn't, when I mentioned those things you did, I was expecting, yeah, I've got this guy who does comics. This guy, I'm working this company for toys. I'm not expecting, I wish, yeah, I do this, I do this, I do this. Who wants to draw comics and doesn't mind being paid in the comic itself, <laughs> then please be, get in touch, you know. Um, but also, I mean, there's a big thing as well where I really, it's a, I'm in a really frustrating place in my career where I've got too much to do that I can't do it all myself, but I don't make enough money to pay somebody else to come and help me. Yeah. So, uh, and I, so what I really don't want to do is say, hey, you, come and, come and work for free on my thing, you know, uh, because there's a certain amount of kind of ethics that I think that's a bit of an overstep of, you know. Um, and like, I mean, uh, it's a lot with our films, really. They're very low budget. So a lot of the times you're kind of saying, who wants to come and do this? Um, and then I'll do the shit jobs on set or Anna will do the shit jobs because you go, well, you don't want to say to people, do you want to come and work on a film? And you'll be spending the day getting people coffee and cleaning up their shit out of the portaloo because, <laughs> because who wants to do that? And that's not helping anybody. But I find it very easy to go, do any actors want to come and be in this film and you'll get this character to put in your reel or you'll get to play this thing and, you know, it'll get released on DVD or it'll go to these places and hopefully that'll be good for you. And if that's not what you want to do, then, like, that's fine. Like, but... If it's if it's if it's an opportunity for somebody, then that's who that's who we want. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you want to do it, come and do it. Like, <laughs> um, and if you don't, like, completely fucking understandable. Like, uh, I mean, I don't want to do it half the time, but you know, <laughs> but I try to make sure that those fun jobs are um, are people who want to come and do them and who's who are going to get something out of them, and then anything that's shit or that like you know is uh, not worth kind of the time it's hard to describe it like anything that's kind of that I feel is going to put people out or they should be paid for like I then I'll do it because like I don't I'm not going to kick my own head in for not paying myself you know? <laughs> I've been doing that for 20 years so, <laughs> so, there you go. so your YouTube channel is also incredible I, I love the content you've got in there like cast interviews real horror the one that intrigues me the most most is the gritty reboots excellent that, um, that is such an awesome concept <laughs> well yeah i think it's uh, we've just changed it actually recently um so initially it was it all came from this idea me and my friend um who's he's been in a few of our films called lewis cooper um he He's also got his own YouTube channel. So if you're on YouTube, the Lewis Cooper experience, I think it's called. Um, he's got his own channel there. <clears throat> and we'd always talked about this reboot of Home Alone called McAllister, where like a drug adult, um, <laughs> a drug adult Macaulay Culkin returns for revenge on the burglars that tormented him as a child, you know, like, um, and it was just kind of this running joke that we were like doing, we were like, messing around with this gritty reboot of Home Alone. And um, well, I said, we should do a show that's basically, we'll take stuff and just do this to it, like make it horrible, you know? Um, and so that's kind of where it came from. And uh, we just, 
I think we started off with, I can't remember what the first episode was now. <clears throat> uh, Biker Mice from Mars, I think. Oh, and we took that and just kind of turned it into like, I think it was like The Raid, um, you know, uh, and just kind of made a film about Mike, uh, mice like fighting their way through kind of like the Bronx, you know, and <laughs> people in there and <clears throat> to, to, stop, uh, to stop, stop like corrupt politicians who were really fishmen, you know. Uh, <clears throat> And that's where it started, and we just uh, um, so we do one of those every month now. We just did Highlander this afternoon. Um, oh, that's awesome! Which what we used to do was we put it to a vote, and then we'd go away and we'd both write a pitch and come back and talk about our pitches. But I felt like we weren't getting a lot. It was taking days to write these pitches because they were getting longer and longer. Like I, t- I was turning up with like five-page Thundercats movies by the end. Of it, you know, like I was going, I can't do it. Like you know. I'm spending four days writing a pitch and then a day recording the pitch for it. So we started kind of doing more. We did some live shows over Halloween um, and I think we did one for the micro anniversary. So we did some kind of live ones where we pitch live. People send us ideas and we were pitching them. And I think we came up with like uh, one was Crocodile Dundee versus Predator. Um, <laughs> and we did uh, Thomas the Human Tank Engine which was like a human centipede, Thomas the Tank Engine crossover. <clears throat> and it was, I mean, it was dark, dark stuff. That sounds <laughs> horrifying. It was not good. Lewis <laughs> just checked out halfway through. Um, <clears throat> and I was desperately trying to hold this thing together because uh, I think Boris Johnson was doing like the, you're all going to get locked down again announcement at the time when we went live, just out of the blue. Aww. He decided he was going to do this announcement. So we had like, very like few people anyone who's tuning in was going oh what's it no no i'm out and just going <laughs> straight you know so we were just it was all just a horrible experience but it was a good pitch so we kind of decided to go uh with a bit more of a kind of modern uh like more of a live vibe to the new one so we did highlander today and we just started kind of pitching ideas around um and we came up with a pretty good one, I think, which will go on our Patreon on Monday and then it'll be on YouTube in a month. So we have them on Patreon for like a month first and then they go uh, to the YouTube for free. So. so there's the same as the podcast, the MyCast podcast that you do. There's that, so the YouTube, are they linked? Because I was looking at those. Yeah, yeah, they're the same thing. Ah, uh, okay. That's fair enough. That, that scraps on my podcast. Out there. Questions out there. But, I mean, <laughs> so the podcast, we, so it started off, we were doing interviews with the cast members and stuff. So that goes out. All, all these things also go out as a podcast um, okay. as well. But uh, we do video versions that go up on YouTube. Um, but if, you, yeah, if you've got iTunes or Spotify or whatever, you can listen to all these things there as well. Amazing. But um, Pretty Reboots, we also do a video version for the, uh, for the YouTube. So... so- we hinted at this at the start of the episode. So you spake, you directed music videos. Now I saw that you'd done for Michael Schenker of Scorpions, Blaze Bailey, formerly of Iron Maiden, who is a wonderful guy. I met him once many years ago. Yes. How did this come about? Which what? Well, just getting into music videos in general, I thought it was just those two. And then you drop, like, oh, I've done about 50 of them. So, oh, well, it's really like, so, I mean, I've done music videos before. Like I say, I did, um, I went to like a film school college, Mm. Um, in Newcastle uh, where we learned to make corporate videos and part of that was shooting like music videos and stuff which was so it always been something I'd quite enjoyed but <clears throat> I'd never really planned to get into it really um, but um, when I when we did Sash House we couldn't afford to rent equipment so what I did was I bought 
like a about a thousand pound of camera equipment on my August card. So, that, um, <laughs> you know, and I was just basically like, well, I'm going to have to fucking pay this back at some point. Um, but I had no money because I just sunk every penny I had into getting to this film set and making this movie. So I was like, what can I do to make some money? And someone said, well, you can, I'll pay you 300 quid to make us a music video. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's what I did. Uh, well, it kind of started, it was weird. So it, what, what started off was there was a guy in the first film, feature film that we tried to make. He was in a band called Exit State. Um, and he, they were, they were kind of co coming up at the time. So they were like, oh, well, you know, would you come and make us a music video? And I was like, yeah, sounds fun. So we went and shot like a music video based around like characters from this film. Um, and then somehow, I have no idea how it happened, but um, that ended up being like the number one most requested video on Kerrang! like in the summer of like 2010, I think. Um, it was fucking mental. Like I honestly, no idea how it happened, but it happened. Uh, it was called Lost Beyond Belief by Exit State. It was massive, like honestly, blew my mind. Um, and so then, off the back of that, obviously, people start going, come do one for us. And I was like, uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so I just started doing these cheap music videos to pay off my August cards that I'd put this camera on, you know, like, um, and that's how it started. And then, obviously, um, I needed to make some money um, because filmmaking doesn't pay very much. So uh, people would start going, oh, you make us one. And it just never kind of stopped. Um, and then eventually... Uh, we did one for Blaze Bailey. Um, well, he was featured on it. We got hired to do a music video and he was featured in it. Oh, um, right. So it was, um, there's another band and they had him featured um, on the song. So we went and got, to, we had to go and shoot all his stuff in this forest one day, uh, which was good. And he was doing some acting and stuff. And then uh, he invited us to go for a drink with him uh, when he was playing in, uh, in Manchester uh, a few weeks later. So we went and kind of met up with him uh, spent the kind of evening with him while he was doing the, the gig and stuff. And uh, I said, he said, oh, I really enjoyed all that acting we were doing on the uh, music video. And I was like, all right, cool. I said, I'm recording some voiceover stuff for uh, for Slash House tomorrow. I said, uh, can you, if I send you the stuff I need, can, do you want to do that? Do you want to record it and send it over to me? And he was like, all right. So he ended up doing the voice of like the main bad guy in Slash House. Um, That's amazing. Mad. But then... Um, in the meantime, I'd gone, I mean, honestly, like, so back then I didn't have two pence to rub together. Like we were really struggling to pay rent and uh, a band from Brazil, uh, they were kind of like a hybrid of like some UK musicians and uh, like uh, a guy from Brazil who was quite popular over there called Code of Silence. They were like a super group that kind of got put together. That name um, sounds familiar. I think I know them. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were like really quite big yeah. for like a very short amount of time. I think they only did one album and then kind of disbanded. But um they needed a video, but they couldn't afford to fly the guy over and pay for the video. So I basically did the video for next to nothing so they could fly this guy over. And I said, you know, I'll kind of, I'll help you out here. And we ended up driving up to Glasgow. I didn't drive and my wife didn't drive at the time. Um, so I had to like rope my mate in. It was like the guitarist in my band at the time. I said, can you, please mate, can you drive us to Glasgow from Preston? Uh, and we went to this freezing cold church and shot this video like um, all day in the like minus five, you know, uh, like the floor was covered in ice inside the church. You know, it was horrendous. But we shot this video. 
I got paid, like literally, I'm kid- not kidding, next to nothing for it. Um, but I took all the photos that they used inside the album as well, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like the first time I got oh, published as a photographer completely by accident. Um, <laughs> but I did the job and I never thought anything of it. <laughs> and then Michael Schenker, a few years later, Michael Schenker was touring uh, the UK. Um, and they were kind of doing it a bit like out of their own pocket kind of thing. Um, so uh, apparently they'd asked this guy who I'd helped out if they knew anyone who could do a good video on the cheap. And I got the call and was like, do you want to come amazing. and, do you want to come and shoot um, Michael Schenker's new video? I was, it was class. Uh, he, he wanted to wear all these kind of, he, he wanted to wear like a cloak with like this mask on and he was walking around with his guitar case and I'm literally following him around Manchester like wearing this mad like garb, like filming all these bits. Uh, honestly, I was completely out of my depth, but I, my, I took, I went down and I had like a slider about this long and they wanted all these like really fancy like shots and that. And my slider is like, you know, about 60 centimetres or something. And like, <laughs> honestly, it was just all day trying to figure out how to get all these kind of really nice fancy shots, like with what was essentially like, you know, a 500 pound camera uh, and some random gear that I'd picked up over the years. And it was just, um, and, and we did it, um, uh, you know, and it was, it went all right. And I thought, you know, like it went well, the video came out well, but I thought that'll be the end of that then. And then um, he hired me to do his next two music videos. Um, like on this, like I got a phone call from um, Taro, which is his son slash manager. Uh, and he was like, oh, Michael wants you to come and do um, the next two videos. Can you come and do that? Um, and then on the back of kind of the popularity of my videos had nothing to do with this. Um, but <laughs> on the back of this project could do really well, he got picked up by another major label to go out to Japan. So they then I got unhired. They had major label money then. So the, well, the label picks who does it then. So I got... Yeah. Um, and obviously they're not in this country very often. So, because um, he drove from Germany to come and film a music video with me in Milton Keynes, um, <laughs> you know, and we should, we honestly, it was the weirdest experience in the world. We went and shot like in like a little, I mean, in Milton Keynes, we don't have music studios or anything. So we had to go and rent like a room in like, it was like an old bathhouse um, that's turned into like, you know, like an education center. Mm-hmm. So we managed to rent a room to like build like kind of like miniature set in there. So we could film this music video. We filmed that in the morning. He gave me a priceless guitar to look after. Went and had some lunch. And I just had Michael Schenker's like custom made yin yang guitar set at my house all day. And then we went up to like this hill on, in Milton Keynes uh, at sunset and filmed this other video of him like just wailing solos like as the sun went down and it was just mental. And then he was like, <laughs> thank you for everything, Michael. And I was like, he goes, see you next time, yeah? I was like, yeah, cool. And then he drove off in his, like, sports car, and uh, it was the last time I saw him. It's crazy. Eh? I was getting texts from everyone I knew all day going, can you get his autograph for me? <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> so you briefly mentioned it, then I wanted to touch on the fact that you also have a band called Subject 7. Oh, I mean, that was that was too long ago. That I think we... Uh, that band disbanded in 2013. Um, okay. But, uh, I mean, since then, we... Uh, so, I mean, Subject 7 started off... I was in a band called Hockey Mask Heroes. Um, 
Great which was like a um the idea originally was that we were going to like write songs based on like uh, horror movies and action movies and stuff that we really liked uh, so we wrote uh, we, probably our most famous song was a song called phantasm that was uh, based on the movie of the same title obviously um and then so when so, so subject seven was kind of like that went on for a couple of years and we were I, I mean like i say we we did all right um we never signed to like a major label who kind of did a lot of stuff ourselves, but we did um, release like four music videos on channels and stuff. And uh, we toured all over the country. We must've done about 250 shows all over the country. It was wow. Like, oh, nice. It was a hell of a couple of years, but I think it was quite draining on everybody. And ultimately uh, I'll be as diplomatic as I possibly can be. Um, <laughs> politics pulled the whole thing apart. I think, um, and so after that, I just kind of went back to uh, Hockey Mask Heroes as a kind of more of a studio project, really. Um, and that too, up until recently, I'd been producing all of our scores under that band. Originally, me and a couple of the original members came back. When I moved down to the South, uh, it, it just became more about me doing kind of my own thing, which was quite nice. Uh, and then we recently launched a project called Dixon with two X's. Um, in a nice homage to a famous 80s band, Dokken. Um And so that's kind of uh, where we're at now in terms of writing music. Uh, so uh, there's a full length album coming out, um, but um, also we write the scores for all of our films, um, which we release. I think if you go to Bandcamp, is it Michael Records at Bandcamp? Um, you can find all the scores for our films and uh, there's some of our kind of albums and stuff up there as well. And, Amazing. It's just incredible. The main thing I've taken out of this story today is basically you want to see something done, so you're going to do it. And I absolutely admire and love it. Well, I think uh, someone once said to me, uh, <laughs> here we go. This is, this, this is one that I'll really, you'll really appreciate. Someone once said to me that uh, Rihanna can do so many things. She can sing and she can act and she can dance and she's an artist and a photographer I said, ah, but can she do any of those things well? And <laughs> I'm very much Brianna in this. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I like, um, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, is I'm not particularly naturally good at anything, like genuinely. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a good try. And I'm, I don't give up very easily is my main problem. <laughs> uh, so like I've never I've never been naturally very good at anything but I'm willing to put the time in to figure it out so um, I think perseverance is the key here um, I, I do have a saying that I say all the time to anyone who wants to make films I guess or do anything but um, just make films no matter what like and just as long as you remember that replace films with whatever it is you want to do in the world and just do that like uh because i mean i think if anything if we've learned anything over the last year or so like life is fucking short as fuck like yeah. really mm. really short absolutely like, and even if you're alive you could just have to spend every bloody day in the house doing nothing like you know um so that it's a it's it's a it's a privilege that can be revoked without even thinking about it. So, you know, if you want to do something, do it while you've got the chance. I've got 
like bloody hell, I'd, I'd hate to be sat here now thinking, oh, I always wanted to make that feature film and, and now I'm stuck in the house and I don't know when I'll be able to ever do that now. You know, like instead, at least I'm thinking, oh, when am I going to get to make feature film number 10? This is very <laughs> annoying. <laughs> you know, oh, well, I better work on my comic. <laughs> you know, and at least I've got something to do, you know, and I think, I think if I didn't, I'd go mad. My, my final question coming out of all of this, though, is with all of these projects, everything you do, do you actually ever see your wife? Well, I mean, luckily, like I say, I work with her. So um, she's, she's my producer. So we spend most of our time together. I mean, a pandemic's really helped. Uh, yeah, I suppose but, so, yeah. um, we haven't left the house since like March, apart from like doctor's appointments. So um, we see each other all day, every day. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I mean, you don't have a social life is ultimately the, the downside of that. Um, like I always find it people talk about rap parties all the time like you know they go oh I made a film a couple of years ago the rap party was incredible and I go fucking I have time for rap parties <laughs> I'm only going on the next thing you know and it's uh, <clears throat> I think there was a, the odd time when we nipped to the pub after for a, for a couple before we've gone home you know um, but yeah in general like you just you sacrifice other stuff you do um, and for me a lot of the time that's uh, any kind of social life Tom did you have any final questions before we move on no I absolutely smashed them all in like one one answer but um, <laughs> MJ thank well, you so much man I've really really oh, really enjoyed it yeah me really too enjoyed it's it. been great I've really, really, really good I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the crap out of it <laughs> now, before we get out of here <laughs> we do like to play a little game with our guests it's called right. the quick fire round. We just ask you six questions and you answer them as quick as you can. It's as simple as that. Okay, cool. <clears throat> First one. Favourite cheese? Oh, Stilton. Oh. You don't know until you've, you've had it every day for months. <laughs> First ever concert? <laughs> oh, uh, I Maiden. Happy days. Love it. Favourite cartoon when you were growing up? Oh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, the second iteration. What? I love them. I was not expecting that answer. I love well, they did uh, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog and then they did the one that was like all dark oh, and gritty and like um, he was a freedom fighter and you know, oh, it was incredible. I think I remember that. It was on my Fox oh, yeah. Kids. <clears throat> it was on, uh, well, it was on Channel 4 here. That's uh, mm. all I remember. Who would play you in a movie of your life? Oh, Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> <laughs> you see it though. Yeah. Like I say, yeah. <laughs> I think I already know the answer to this one coming out of this interview, but your favourite horror movie icon? Uh, probably Michael Myers, yeah. And any advice you'd give to young MJ Dixon? Um, stop fucking about. Make stuff faster. <laughs> stop being a dickhead. Like, procrastinate too much. <laughs> Incredible. Um, before we get out of here, before I ask for any plugs and so on, I do need to mention the fact that Slaperal Falls is the greatest play on words for a movie title I've ever seen in my life. I just, Thank you. I just had to say that because I was scrolling through IMDb and I was just like, that is the greatest film title I've ever but seen. They're the fake, that's the fake movie series in the mo- within the movies is the Slaperal Falls Day saga. Oh, that's yeah. even better. 
So yeah. Uh, well, we did recently did a. I was doing a completely unrelated short film, um, that was like set in the cinema, and we had a mock up of Staple Fool's Day Part Seven, Wild Wild Jest, um, <laughs> made up and put. We had it put up in the Odeon. Um, I honestly, it was like one of the best days of my life. Is just seeing this giant poster in, uh, in the IMAX frame of the Odeon, like for this film. Beautiful. That is incredible. <laughs> but um, so right now, before we end this, any plugs, any social medias you want people to check out? Uh, I mean, it's all the usual stuff. I have to do this at the end of my podcast to us forget everything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we if you go to myco.co.uk, myco.co.uk. Uh, we've got loads of stuff there. Like you can buy DVDs and there's comics and short films to watch and you can there you can see all of our action figures we do like vhs releases every so often throughout the year there's t-shirts that we do every so often um it's just all sorts of mad stuff you can, you can get there uh, we also have a patreon patreon.com slash micro you can subscribe monthly and you get like um i mean obviously we used to before the pandemic we do about three or four short films that are exclusive to that every year um uh, in the meantime, we've just been we've been doing more podcast stuff just to fill in that gap until uh, we can start making those films again. But you can subscribe for like one pound fifty a month, and you get like loads of cool uh, kind of exclusive content. You get it all early at the minute, but as well when we do short films, you get those like a year before anybody else does. So oh, wow. uh, it's good times, and we've got a comic coming out in uh, that's specific for Patreon and digital. So uh, there's a new iteration of the micro comic coming out uh, called micro universe which will be coming directly to the patreon first and then out to the world after that um and yeah i think i think i mean if you go to hmv.com and type in mj dixon on the store we've got like a bunch of films out there so if you buy them uh and watch them and then say they're good on the internet that would be helpful <laughs> and also write to our distributor and tell them you really like them and uh, to pay us to make more of it. So, <laughs> noted. Noted, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. MJ, thank you so much. This has no been problem. so much fun. Absolutely a blast. Thank you, man. Have a, a great yeah. evening. Enjoy yeah, and take care of yourself. You. See you later, my friend. What's up? This is Tatness, and you're listening to the Chronicles of Podcast with Tom Stevens and Jamie Westwood. Because if you're not, I will punch you in the taint. <laughs>